Very nice. Well, good morning. My name is Drew. Welcome to Horizon, and welcome back to the drawing board. Today, we're exploring how to find contentment. That's something we all want, and a lot of times, we feel like contentment is tied to our possessions or our circumstances. If things just go the way that I hope, if I just had the things that I wanted, or if I just had enough that I could do the things that I want to do. Sometimes we also think that contentment means not having enough and just dealing with it. But what we're going to explore today is that contentment goes beyond those things. I don't know if you saw the movie Passengers, but there's a part in that movie uh, where the main character finds that he has woken from cryosleep on his spaceship and he's alone. Nobody else is there, and he's not sure what to do with himself or what to think about the situation until he gets some advice to stop worrying so much about the situation and just enjoy the here and now. And so he has an opportunity, he thinks, to find contentment by being able to do whatever he wants, as much as he wants, whenever he wants, as often as he wants. Let's see what he finds. Watch this. I love that song. My dad was a traveling Wilburys fan, and I can remember sitting in the back of our souped-up <clears throat> minivan and singing along to, like, every word of that song and then realizing I don't really know what I'm talking about, <laughs> what I'm singing. I just know the parts where I'm supposed to go, Well, it's all right, and it feels good. And then at the end of the song, it's like, oh, felt good for a second there, but then I start remembering... And I got a lot of stuff I got to figure out today, right? Or uh, I got bills I got to pay, or you know, I got that, that promotion that I'm, I'm racing for, or it's like, and the, and the rest of life kind of crowds back in when the song is over. And so that, that fleeting moment of feeling like, hey, no matter what happens, whether I've got a lot or got a little, or, or I go this way, or I end up here at the end of the line, well, it's all right. It's just so fleeting. Because the circumstances of life come back in, and we lose that moment, that moment of contentment. But we want to talk about that today, about finding contentment, about how we do that, because it's something that we all want. So we've got to start with a definition. What, what are we actually talking about? Well, the first definition that you find when you look up this word is that contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. That we're satisfied, that we're happy, that, that whatever's going on, we're good. But like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times we, we, we act like, even if we wouldn't say it, like that's tied to our possessions, tied to our circumstances. But there's another piece of this definition that points out that it actually has to go beyond that. Because contentment is also a state that is exempt from outside circumstances. That happiness and satisfaction don't have to depend on the things going on around me to exist. That whatever's happening out here... I can feel satisfied. I can be content in here. Does that sound good? Does that sound like something you want? That's something that, that all of us chase and, and we have always. In, in fact, there's a Greek philosopher you may know named Seneca who actually was a contemporary of Jesus Christ. Uh, their birthdays are probably within a year of each other. And he was another man who was teaching how to find contentment. And I love the way that he put it. He said that it's not the man who has too little, 
but the man who craves more that is poor. See, the idea that he was giving there was that whether you only have a little bit or whether you actually have more than you need, plenty to do whatever you want, if your mindset is always that it's not quite enough, then even if you're not poor, you're acting poor. You're thinking poor. You've lost contentment. You actually become discontent. And for Seneca, that meant learning to deny yourself, to, to try to be content, that this would somehow make you a good person. But he said something else that I think partly explains why contentment fails for us so often. Because another thing he said was that our plans, even if we plan to be content, our plans miscarry because they have no aim. When a man does not know what harbor, when a man does not know what harbor he is making for, no wind is the right wind. So if we don't know what we are content in, if we don't know what really gives us our contentment, then that explains why we never get there. So what happens to us when we lack contentment? What goes wrong? Why is this such a big deal? Well, if the the opposite of content is discontent, if we're dissatisfied with our situation in life, and maybe we chase a better situation. Now, that may not be a bad thing. Certainly bettering yourself, trying to better your career, trying to achieve something greater can be good. It can also lead to exhaustion. Or what about in relationships? If a person is not content with their spouse, they're just not satisfied, then relationships fall apart because we start chasing something, someone else, hoping that will satisfy us. Or we think about the future and instead of exciting, the future becomes fearful because we can't control it. And I like what I have now, but what if I lose it? What if circumstances change? And so without contentment, we have fear, we have anxiety, we have unfulfilled relationships, we have exhaustion. So how do we find contentment? Well, we've got the opportunity today to discover that contentment is not actually something you find. Contentment is something you learn. And we have the opportunity to learn it from somebody who was able to confidently say... I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now that comes from a man that we often call the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote most of what we know as the New Testament. And I love the way that he talks about this because so many times we think, well, if, if we didn't have enough, if we didn't have what we wanted, could we be content? But Paul actually talks about both sides of that coin, that, that he knows how to be content whether he's got more than enough or not enough. That in both situations, contentment is still something that we need to learn. And so he writes a letter called the Book of Philippians that he writes to a group of his friends to help them learn something they couldn't find. Now, now, Philippi was a city named after Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. And the picture that you see here is not Philippi, but it's a city right next to where Philippi would have been. <laughs> so you can kind of get a picture of what this looks like modern day, what it would have looked like back then. They were in the middle of a major trade route, and so they had piles of gold, piles of silver. Financially, they were very wealthy, and yet they didn't have contentment. And so Paul, who had dear friends there, 
is going to write this letter. So let's go to the drawing board and see how he sets up this letter to his friends. Let's watch. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. That's kind of a strange phrase, right? How to see your story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. But as Paul talks about contentment, he's going to try to argue for us that that's exactly where he learned it. That that's where he found it. When he couldn't find it anywhere else, he found it in the life of Jesus. And so it kind of begs that question for us. Could Jesus bring contentment? If all of the circumstances of life can't add up, could Jesus really be the difference? You see... As we go to the drawing board, Paul is going to say throughout this letter that Jesus is the central thing. That everything about who he is, everything about his life, is what we make our center, what we make our anchor, that actually gives us the contentment that we can't find anywhere else. And so if we're thinking about financial gain and the jobs that we have, the company that we keep, and the friends that we make, he says that needs to revolve around Jesus. Whether we have much, or whether we're in the red, it doesn't affect us, because these are just circumstances. But Christ is our center, who keeps the circumstances at bay. Now, this is a fascinating concept, because Paul is not interested in religion as an opiate. Paul was actually a skeptic and an opponent of Jesus Christ. He was killing people who believed in Jesus, and now here he is, saying that Jesus is the center of his life, that Jesus is the thing that gives him contentment. Whether circumstances are good, and there's sunshine and happy days, or whether the rains come, and days are not so happy. And as I think about that, I can't help but think about Houston. You've seen the things that have been happening, and the way that the news has been talking about it. And I heard a story coming out of there this week that... On the surface, if I didn't know this piece, sounds crazy. There was a man who saw the flooding, saw what was happening, and looked at his house, looked at the area around him, believed that he was going to be okay. So he wasn't worried about it. So he went upstairs, went to sleep, woke up in the morning, and the entire lower floor was filled with water. I've heard a lot of stories like this this week. So he and his family could not get out of the house. So after waiting some time, rescue boats came down their street their, what was now a river, and picked them up. But because of how much water was gushing, rushing through the city, the current actually flipped the boat that they were in, and so what looked like it was going to be rescue was now risk of drowning. So they start waving their arms, they start screaming, they don't know if anybody is around or if they have any chance of survival or if that was their chance and now it's gone. Until another man, a neighbor of theirs who lived down the street, starts coming down in his bass boat. And he just hears a little bit of screaming and he sees one arm waving 
and he was able to pick them up and save them. And coming out of that situation, they have now lost everything. But it turns out this man is a follower of Christ. And so he came out of that, and, he told, and his friends said to him, I'm so sorry for you. you, you've lost everything. And he said, well, it's just stuff. I probably had too much anyway. And we're just thankful that God took care of us. Now, think about what he's saying. I've lost everything, but at least Jesus. Does that sound weird? Maybe you're in the room and you're like, yeah, I totally get that. I've, I've felt that way. I've had that moment. Maybe you're in the room like, wait a minute, you've lost everything. You know, what would it take for a person to be able to go through that kind of situation and say that this gives them contentment? Or you can think about whatever your situation is. Maybe it's not up here. Maybe it's not shine or rain. Maybe it's somewhere in between. What would it take to be able to take whatever that is on the best days and the worst days and say, I'm content because of Jesus? That's why Paul spends a lot of time in this book talking about who Jesus is. In fact, in chapter 2, he describes a little bit of Jesus' character to help us understand this. He writes, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. What he's saying there is that if Christ is Lord, the man that they call God, who would be known as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who had the best possible circumstances, lordship over the universe, and yet said, it's got to be more than this. Right? Who looked at you and said, I would give it all up to have a relationship with, with you. Gave it all up, was willing even to die. To go from the best of circumstances to the worst of circumstances and to be content. So Paul says, I model my life after Christ. Paul, a man who killed people for believing in Jesus, who forced them to deny the God that they love, what does it take for him to completely flip that and now be trying to teach his closest friends how to learn the person of Jesus? You see, this, I think, is the difference between Seneca and Plato and Aristotle, any, any other number of philosophers or any other number of world religions who say, try to be content because desire causes pain and so, so you just need to not feel things. I don't think that's what Paul is saying because... Because when Seneca says that, there's some veiled sense that this will make me a good person. But Paul wants to go a major step beyond that and say, it's not just some selfish kind of a try to be a good person thing. It's that he wants us to know a good God. That if philosophy says, try this, try that, so you don't feel dissatisfied. Paul wants to say, forget feelings because you know that God alone satisfies not just to know about jesus but to know jesus and paul was able to live this out in any circumstances 
So let's go back to the drawing board and see some of the kinds of circumstances that Paul was in, even as he wrote this letter. Let's watch. Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. Let that soak in for a minute. Did you hear what he just said? Paul is in prison. This is a picture of what a Philippian prison would have looked like. It's not a nice place. And in fact, they didn't give you three square meals a day. If you were going to survive in prison, it's because somebody outside of prison was still providing for you. Not only that, Paul was there on false charges, false accusations, unfairly. (laughs) Did you hear what he just said? And he could be killed... And that wouldn't be so bad? Weird, right? Can we own that that's weird? For somebody to think that way. So what is it that brings Paul here? How can he find contentment in that kind of a situation? Not only that, but there was a time where they discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen and they panicked. They said, we didn't even give him a trial. Now we could get in trouble because he's a Roman citizen and we didn't give him a Roman trial. We got to get him out of prison. And Paul said... No, you don't. He stayed in prison because he knew that it was better for advancing the story of Jesus and helping people understand how Jesus wanted to love them, to save them, to bring them this kind of satisfaction. What? Take that in. Can you picture any moment in your life where you are wrongfully accused, imprisoned and kept away from friends and family, and you say, good. I'm just going to stay right here. This, this is where I think I need to be. You see, Paul was above the circumstances. His happiness, his satisfaction did not depend on the things around him or the things he had to exist. Not, not only that, but as you think about Paul's story, you realize that What he's saying is that if you want to find this, even if you don't agree with Jesus, even if you don't understand Jesus, even if you don't believe in Jesus, he's worth exploring. It's worth trying to learn what it is about this Jesus that could make a person like Paul live this way. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we do study groups here at Horizon, because every study group is an opportunity for us to get together and say, what is it about this Jesus? 
to be able to ask our tough questions, to be able to ask the things that we think nobody has an answer for and to dig deeper and to keep exploring. In fact, if that's something that might be interesting to you, I can tell you that's one of the things that I have to like rearrange my schedule for. And everything, every time I think, ah, oh, this season I'm too busy for a group, then I realize, no, that's, that's too good to miss. Something else will have to move. And, and we've actually got a table set up. When, later, when you walk through these doors, down this hallway, if you cross the atrium, there's a table set up where we have more information about groups, including some that are really built right around that idea of asking the toughest questions and finding out what this Jesus is all about. Because then we can be above our circumstances. It reminds me of a story. There's an old man, and he has a beautiful horse. And this is a Chinese proverb that has been handed down for thousands of years. And the story goes that the old man did not train the horse. It was beautiful, but it was wild. And all the men of his town come to him and say, you need to train that horse. It's a blessing. It's, a, it's so beautiful. It's worth so much. You could sell it for a great amount of money. And he goes back to the men of the town. And he says, ah, what do you know about blessings? It's just my horse. Well, it doesn't take long before the horse, because it was not trained, runs away. Everybody from town comes back to him and says, see, now you've been cursed. You should have taken advantage of it when it was a blessing. And he responds to them, what do you know about blessings and curses? How do you know this isn't a blessing in disguise? Well, a few days later, his horse comes back. And he's not alone. He brought a beautiful female horse with him. And not long after that, she gives birth to another beautiful horse. Now instead of one, the man has three. And everybody from town comes back and says, Oh, you were right all along. It wasn't a curse. It was a blessing. And you certainly have a blessed and charmed life. You know what he says to him? What do you guys know about blessings and curses? It's just a circumstance of life. I don't have enough perspective to know if this is a good thing or ultimately a bad thing. What do you know? Well, not long after that, these three wild horses trample the man's son, breaking his legs so he can no longer walk. And everyone from town comes back to him and says, We knew it! You are cursed after all! And he says, What do you know about blessings and curses? Not long after that, the country goes to war. And they come to town to get all of the able-bodied men and take them off to a war where nine out of ten of them would die. But they don't take the man because he's too old, and they don't take his son because his legs are broken. And so they get to live on together in peace. And everybody from town comes back and says, You were right. This is a blessing after all. And the old man says, What do you know about blessings and curses? This is just a circumstance of life, and I don't have enough perspective to know how all of this will end up. So I'm going to take it one day at a time and enjoy and be content in what I have right now. I love that story because personally, I'm a strategic thinker and everything that happens everywhere has to mean something. <laughs> and I need to know why and I need to know why right now so I can put all of the pieces together and say, this stinks, but it's okay. It's worth it because I can see it's going to turn out for the best this way or, or I'm sure I can use it this way and what do I know? <laughs> what do we know, really? All we know is the moment that we're in. And I think that what Paul is trying to give to his friends and, and the opportunity that we have 
is to receive a better perspective. To to realize that we don't see all the pieces. We don't know everything about our lives. As the song said, we don't know what's coming at the end of the line. But there's somebody who does. If God of the Bible is who he says he is, then he knows every day that is laid out before us. And so whether we can see how it works out or not, whether we can see if we're going to learn anything, if it's a blessing in disguise or if it's a trial to strengthen us, whether we can put the pieces together or not, he has a higher perspective. That's why in chapter 4, Paul writes this, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. He is the one with the higher perspective. He is the one who can see how all of the pieces fit together that way, We're not just falling in line with Seneca and saying, oh, well, I guess it is what it is. But we're saying, I know that I can be content in this moment because there is somebody who loves me more than I can even imagine who knows how every piece fits together. When I have enough, when I have more than enough, when everything's great, and when I don't, and everything's not, that that comes through trusting Christ's perspective. So when we learn contentment, we then find freedom from fear, from anxiety, from trying to control the future, from unfulfilled relationships, because whatever is happening around us, whatever is happening to us, we can filter through trusting Christ's perspective. Not only do we find freedom, but we can learn contentment by forgetting ourselves. Now that's an interesting concept. Learn contentment by forgetting yourself. And there's a little bit deeper here than just think of others. Because Paul's going to talk about this, and and there's probably things that all of us would love to forget about ourselves, right? Times and moments in our lives that we wish we could go back and change. That we would do something different. We would make a different decision. We would say something different in that moment that really set things off. We'd be happy to forget our failures, Paul also wants us to forget our successes. Look at what he says in in chapter 3 of his letter. He says, If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now what he means there is, is the ability to boast. To say, I am the best of the best in my field, in my family, in my career, whatever it is. I've got the education. I've got the know-how. I've got the prestige. I've got the reputation. Paul says, If anyone thinks they may have confidence in the flesh... I more so, because Paul was trained in the best schools. Paul had position, he had power, he had authority, he had notoriety. He probably had a lot of wealth, and he was using it to attack Christianity. But look at what he says here. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You see, he's saying all of these things, his education, his bank account, not bad things, good things that Paul worked hard for. What does it take for him to say, all of this that I've poured my life into? Rubbish. And in fact, the word in the Greek that he actually uses here, 
is not nearly as polite as rubbish. <laughs> He's saying it's a pile of rubbish. <laughs> All of the things that were most important in his life are nothing now. I mean, think about this is some fuzzy math here, right? He says everything that was gained to me is lost now. Try that in your next board meeting. Yeah, all of the gain that we thought we had, it's lost. But don't worry, we're content. Uh, I don't know. But that's what he's saying. And, and he goes on, not only is he willing to forget his successes because of how they pale in comparison to knowing Jesus, he also encourages us to forget our failures. Because you remember, Paul had to fall asleep at night knowing that, that he wants every one of his best friends to put their trust in Jesus when a few short years ago... He was overseeing the murder of people who did just that. How do you live with that? How do you write letters like this and, and talk about how you've changed and encourage people to find what you've found, to learn what you've learned with that weight? To have to be able to receive forgiveness and continue to love other people. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm still learning. But one thing I do... Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You may not know me well enough to know what is my gain and what is my loss. What are my successes? What are my failures? I know that sitting in this room right now, even those of us who know each other might just know a little bit of each of those categories, but every one of us can think right now of the things that we have poured our lives into, that we define ourselves by, that we've worked hard for. And we can probably all think of the things we wish we could forget. Can I encourage you to learn contentment by forgetting yourself. To receive the kind of forgiveness that Jesus wants to offer that says whatever's in the past, you can let that go. Because what's coming in the future, if Christ is your center instead of your circumstances, then it's all gain. And I love that Paul says even he is still learning this because I know that I'm still learning this too. And I can think of moments in my life where I learned contentment like never before. Where circumstances were so bad, I thought, there's no way out of this, right? One of those for me is when my wife was pregnant with our twin boys. And they were coming too early. At a moment where they essentially had a 50-50 chance of survival. And standing in a hospital room where they are pumping my wife full of steroids, just trying to keep those babies in there as long as they can, and praying to God... That they would stay in there. And then praying to God. But if they come today. We trust you. And if they don't make it. We trust you. And to feel a sense of calm. And to know that that sounds weird. But to mean it. And then to celebrate because they did make it and they just had their sixth birthday earlier this week. <laughs> and I can't believe they're six. And there's so much stuff they do that bugs me. And then I just got to remember, I, re I wanted you to be here. I really, I really did. And I still do. And I love you. And let's keep going. 
You know, and I learned it in such a big way. I understand contentment now and I will trust him forever and I'll never deal with this again. Oh, except I'll deal with it over and over and over again because circumstances are always changing. Right? And, and it's big ways and it's little ways. I, I collect classic video games. My daughter comes to me the other day. Daddy, why do you need another video game when you haven't played the ones you have yet? Ooh, that's a contentment question. Uh, well, you, you see, dear, it's, it's different. For grown-ups, I just, it's, it's not that I don't like the games, I just need one more. Let's just say I haven't bought a game for a couple of months while I try to figure that one out. See, we keep learning, and Paul keeps learning. And so as he continues to learn, as he writes this letter, watch how he closes this book with a word of encouragement to his friends. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, its simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. Simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. We learn contentment by focusing on Christ and focusing on others. And that's what Paul's saying. That's what I would say to you today. That's what I would tell you in my own life is the only way that I find it. And that's why Paul can say, all the way back in chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as he explains that, he says part of that is because it's more needful for you that I'm still here. If I die now, I get to go to eternity with the Christ who saved me. That everything here is just momentary. It's, it's the here and now, and it matters, but it doesn't last. And that's not fatalistic. That's because Paul is beginning to have Christ's perspective. That if everything we are working for is in the here and now, when we die, it's gone. But if what we're focusing on is Christ, then when we die, we're just getting started. That he has an eternity of blessing lined up for us. So let's go back to the drawing board. Because here's pretty much the summary of what Paul is telling us is happening. If we build the foundation of our life on self, and then if we begin to build walls on that foundation of wealth, of reputation... All we are doing is building our own prison. See, the prison that Paul was in could not hold him because he was not a victim of circumstances. But if our contentment, if our satisfaction, if our happiness is built on our circumstances, then that becomes a prison in itself. But if our contentment is exempt from our circumstances, if we can enjoy the good things that we find in life, and we can find peace in the moments that are not how we planned, then it breaks those walls open. And what happens is we become free. Free from the fear. Free from the future. Free from the discontent. Free from the broken relationships. Free from everything that would keep us from knowing the contentment that Christ has for us. Free like a bird spreading its wings. 
And you know, we've talked a lot about Christ today. We've said that Jesus could be the center of that, that Jesus could actually bring that kind of contentment. And so I want to finish by letting Jesus speak for himself. This is what he once said about this concept to his closest friends and followers. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And again he said, Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. His eyes on you too. He wants to love you that way. He wants to care for you that way. He wants to give you the perspective that you can trust him for every moment of every day. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I don't know what level of understanding, of relationship, of knowledge each one of us has of you But I pray that it might be a little bit more today, that we might dig a little bit deeper today, that we might explore a little bit more today of what it would mean to just relax and be content and trust you. Lord, I pray that for myself. pray that for every man, every woman who is here, for the children that came with them, or that we might know contentment, that we might know it through Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for being with us at Horizon this morning. I would love to meet you if I haven't before. You know, we usually hang around the front or as you walk out these doors, the third door on the left is the hearth room where we love to put a face with the name. And don't forget, if you keep walking uh, past the atrium, there's a table that has information about those study groups if you want to dig a little bit deeper into who Jesus is and some of the tough questions that you might have. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week.